time of worship. Really grateful, grateful for that. Um, I'm going to pray again real quick. Lord, we just, we thank you that we come together as a fellowship of believers and just um, sit at your feet to worship you, to magnify your name. Lord, we thank you that it's in this process that you are changing us, that you're transforming us, that you are making us like you. And we just, um, we just pray that we would continue as you speak to us through uh, your word, and I pray that you would speak through me as you are speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, I wanted to, um, as I've been um, spending a lot of time on this, um, just the the topic of that I that, that I was talking about was which is just um, discipling, which is basically just being a disciple and helping others do that too. Um, one of the uh, one of the passages that has really been um, that the Lord has really been highlighting to me as a powerful verse is Romans twelve one through two, and so. We're going to really dive into that today. If you want to look that up in your Bible, you are welcome to join because we're going to just keep referring back to that. Um, give you a minute to get there. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version, but then I've got some of the other scriptures I'm going to be using today. I'm going to, I'll, I'll highlight what those are. So, um, this, this passage is obviously being, was written to the Romans and we can imagine is that, um, Paul had already been under God. The Holy Spirit had been really training and teaching, really discipling, if you will, Paul, um, even though he came as a later apostle than the rest of the the disciples. But he was basically, um, yeah, he was being taught by the Holy Spirit. And And essentially what he was doing as he has spent that time growing in the Lord himself was inviting people to grow in the same reality that he had been growing in. Um, when, I, when I hear Romans 12, 1 through 2, I, I imagine myself just um, being like a, you know, a, a new believer, hearing these words and just really... Imagine myself just being, um, just being challenged to, to really enter into them and being challenged as an invitation for me and an instruction for me. And so if we want to think about it like that when we're reading it, Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
I found this translation by J.B. Phillips, and I really like it too because I just, I, I very often like to look at uh, just, you, you get something, and when you're so familiar with the translation, sometimes you just don't get as much. <laughs> or it just kind of goes, um, you, don't, you don't tend to, um, it's just familiar, I guess. <laughs> so this is J.P. Phillips. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God is for, for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That is the goal. The goal is moving towards true maturity. You know, when I, when I was talking about discipleship, the idea behind that is essentially when we choose to follow Jesus, um, another way of saying disciple would basically be, you could call it apprentice. We're choosing to sign up to be an apprentice of God. And as signing up to be an apprentice of God, his, his followers, the goal is to move towards maturity. The goal is to keep running the race. The goal is to finish well. The goal is, to, is transformation, really. And so this is really what this verse is reminding um, the audience is, hey, there's something that we're, you're going for here. And the goal is true maturity. The goal is holiness. The goal is being ready to meet Christ. The goal is being like him. The goal is being a representation, a mini-me, if you will, of Jesus. So let's, um, let's look at that first part again. I'm going to read it again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. I beseech you, this, is, this reminds us that Paul is appealing to our will. Um, it's a choice. It's the way that we live for him. I like, you know, it's just, he's like, um, I beseech you. <laughs> you, I'm talking to you. You have a will. You have a choice. He's calling us to make this radical choice for them it was, it was to live for him, to live different than the culture. Um, you know, the way that Paul approached his letters was that he would often lay out like the doctrine in the first half of the book and the theology, you know, and then what he would do is he would follow it with the practical application. It's, a, it's kind of helpful when you look at, because especially when you Sometimes Paul, Paul is deep and, and intense. And so he starts off with, here's the groundwork, and here's what it looks like. And so he's pretty much done this in the first 11 chapters of this book. And now what he's doing is he's moving into, this is how this is going to flesh out. This is, this is the Christian living part. He's, 
he's exhorting us to live a certain way in the light of what God has done for them. The next phrase, by the mercies of God, it's reminding us that we do this because of the mercy of God. It is, um, yeah, and then these mercies are things that he has actually been describing throughout these first 11 chapters of the book. And he especially develops these in chapters 5 and 6. We are in a new position before God, and um, he's referring to us as now being under the reign of grace. We've got glorious new privileges as being under the reign of grace. We've got responsibilities. We are accepted and enjoyed by God. We have authority in Jesus' name. His indwelling spirit is in us now, and that's enabling us to resist sin. It's enabling us to um, resist the enemy. And we have a significant destiny because of God's mercy. That's the reason why Paul is saying, again, he's building all these things into those earlier chapters, but that's the reason why he's saying, so all of the stuff that I've been talking about, so it's by these mercies of God that we are able to offer ourselves to God. He is worthy. And as he works his mercy in us, um, he is changing us. We are, we are looking at him, and we are, we're in awe of all the things that he has done for ourselves. And it's, it's, it's by these mercies that we're offering ourselves to him. He is, um, so God is commanding us, to do this, but he's also saying that he's making it possible for us to do it. And this would have been um, the opposite of the culture because, and I think the culture then, and really even in the culture now, which is like we give to get. Um, you know, in the Roman culture, I mean, there was all these different gods that they served, and the reason why they were they would serve the god was because hopefully favor, I'm going to get something back out of this whole thing, but this was really a stark contrast from the approach uh, that God was teaching them. It was the opposite of the culture. The reason for the sacrifice would have been to get mercy, but instead, as believers in Christ, it's like we don't, we don't give to get, but we give in response to his mercy. So let me just say that again. We don't give to get, but we give in response to his mercy. And this is what... He was, he's talking about the, you know, the, they were familiar with this whole sacrificial system. The, the um, you know, the, the idea of sacrifice isn't just a, a, a Jewish thing. It was a cultural thing. Um, it still happens, you know, today where it's like I'm, something is dying for the sake of me getting some benefit. But Paul goes on to just talk about all of the mercies that, have been come, have come from God, and since we're not going to have a chance to go through all these eleven chapters, I'm just going to highlight them for highlight them for you. Um, one of them is justica- justification from the guilt and the penalty of our sin. We know um, justified. Just a, a, the way I always remember this is thinking about it from the standpoint: it's just as though I'd never sinned. When Christ's penalty is paid for me, it's I. I am seen, when, when God the Father looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's, is, that a, 
Is that a significant thing? Is that a significant mercy of God? That's a major, right? How about this one? Adoption in Jesus. We've been adopted. We're identified in Christ. We are no longer orphans. We're no longer um, cast out. We are actually in the family. That's a that's pretty big, right? That's a pretty big mercy of God. Um, how about this one? We're placed under, we're not under the law anymore, but we're under what? Grace. We're under grace. That's a pretty big mercy of God, right? Man, I'm so grateful for mercy of, of his grace. What about the giving of the Holy Spirit living inside of us? That's a pretty major mercy of God. What about promise of help during affliction? We're not alone. We're not abandoned. We're not forgotten. We're not forsaken. He's always with us. That's a big mercy of God. What about assurance of standing in God's election? As I love that Tim often says, before the beginning of time, you know, he chose you. You know, he passed over many. I mean, he loves the whole world, but he chose you to be his child, to be his follower. That is pretty dang amazing. <laughs> um, what about the confidence of the coming glory? He's like, there's something beyond here. You're going to live with me forever in eternity. My kingdom is coming. Confidence that there's no separation from the love of God. What will separate us from the love of God? Trouble, hardship, nakedness, persecution, nothing will, will separate us from the love of God. That's another mercy of God. Confidence in God's continued faithfulness. Even when we're not faithful, he will be what? Faithful. He's going to continue to be faithful. And so when you just look at that list there, I mean, don't you feel like, oh, man, <laughs> I am pretty dang blessed. I am privileged. This is awesome. I mean, if you're if you're having a bad day, this is a great thing to just come back and just go through that. If it, you know, if you, the enemy will tend to get us to ruminate on the negative thing, but then you come and you look down this list and you're like, "Whoa, what do I have to be upset about? <laughs> I've got all this goodness, right? Um, I am a child of God, and so this, in light of this mercy, this past." the present, the future. This is what Paul is doing. He's imploring his listeners, he's imploring us to present your body as a living sacrifice. So, as I mentioned, it's connected with this idea of a living sacrifice. This this is really calling to mind what, what from the Jewish cultural standpoint, this priestly service. So, spiritually speaking, our bodies are brought to God's altar. Our bodies. So we have an image of this. I know you do think of it, right? You think of the sacrifice coming. Now, does the sacrifice come to the altar living or already dead? Living. It is living. It comes living. They come to that animal. It would have been brought into, um, it, it would have been brought into the outer court area. Uh, and what happens is they would have picked obviously the best one, that spotless one that would have been brought in. It would have been sacrificed. And it would have been even placed on the altar living, but then sacrificed. So 
spiritually speaking, our bodies are brought to God's altar. It is, I think it's um, a good way to look at this is just um, our body is is referring to our entire being, not not just our physical man, but our entire being. So, you know, basically our spirit, um, our soul, our flesh, our mind, you know, all this stuff lives in our body, right? <laughs> so when we give the body to God, our, it isn't just our physical body, but our mind and our soul are really going with it. So when we look at this phrase of present your body, it means that God wants us, not just our work. He wants us. So we may do all kinds of work for God, but never give ourselves to him. Do we see that happen within the Christian culture? It's, it, it's where there's a lot of doing, but it isn't just the, the will, the surrender, the giving ourselves to him. And so this previous appeal to the will, I beseech you, it means that the will is to be the master over the body. The thinking, of, um, the thinking in our age really is that our body must tell the will what to do. But according to the Bible, it says that our will must bring the body as a living sacrifice to God. In other words, my, my, my mind, my will, emotions, it's in charge of this body, right? <laughs> That's, that is um, what's going to lead us each to bring our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. The, um, the body is a wonderful servant, if you think about it from this pers- per- per perspective, but a terrible master. So keeping it at God's altar as a living sacrifice um, is, is not necessarily an easy job. The ancient Greek never really thought of presenting their body to God. They thought that the body was really unspiritual and that God didn't care about it. But Paul is really making this contrast for them. that That's not actually the way that God looks at it. He's really concerned about our bodies. I'm going to, um, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 6.20. Well, actually, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you, basically, if you, if you guys are familiar with it, but he... He reminds us that our bodies were bought for a price. I am not my own. I was bought for a price. So coming back to this phrase, living sacrifice, the first century people, both the Jews and the pagans, knew firsthand what a sacrifice was all about. And for Paul to beg for them to make themselves a living sacrifice, it was really a striking image for them. Like I said, the sacrifice was brought alive to the altar. And... The thing about a living sacrifice, so they're expecting that sacrifice is then going to be living, but then it's going to die. But in this case, he's saying living, it's, he, he's implying that this is ongoing. This is an ongoing reality. You know, I think what happens, like we're so familiar with this, because we're, at least I think we are like this first, but if you could just imagine for them, I mean, he's, we've heard this, what do you think we've heard this phrase a hundred times, a thousand times, I don't know. But for them, it was like they're familiar with the concept of the sacrifice, but the sacrifice was going to, the animal was going to die. It wasn't going to be like this. It, it was going to be an event. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of ways when we think about parts of the Christian culture, it does feel like an event, right? We talk about this often, like you say the prayer, okay, you've given your life over to God, and so you're now his. But Paul is saying, 
um, it isn't just this one-time thing. This is an ongoing thing. You've got to not only do this dramatic event that you're thinking about in your mind of the sacrifice, laying it down. You've got to get on that altar, but you have to actually stay on that altar. In the Old Testament, every sacrifice was holy and acceptable to God. Leviticus 1.10 said, He should bring a male without blemish. Deuteronomy 15.21 said, But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Wow, right? He's looking for a perfect sacrifice, a surrendered sacrifice. The idea of a sweet aroma to the Lord is almost always linked to the idea of an offering being made by fire. There is this burning that's going on. And when, in, when we think about this matter of living sacrifice, it's the same thing. It's like this burning that's going on. He's, it's, it's like we are, we're burning for him in this living sacrifice of ourselves, Right? When, when these sacrifices were given to the Lord, was it the whole animal or just part of the animal? It was the whole animal, right? Yeah, that's what he's looking for, our whole sacrifice. The holiness that we bring to the altar is our decision for holiness. It isn't because we are holy and we're pure and spotless, but we're, we're yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's what brings it. That's, what, that's how we present our body as a living sacrifice. We present it yielded. God is the one that makes, um, he, he's the one that with his burning fire is, is burning off all of the impurities. And he's accepting this off, offering of our, okay, I'm, I, I don't have, I'm, I know that the way that I look at myself, I'm not a perfect offering. But he's saying, you're yielding to me. I'm, I'm accepting this offering, even in our weakness. He's accepting it. He accepts us. You know, many people live in discouragement. Many of us live in discouragement because we, we kind of default in this mode. We think that in offering ourselves that we're not really accepted by the Lord, but he's saying, you are accepted. He wants us to, to walk in the joy. He wants us to walk in the strength of knowing that what we're giving him is actually acceptable and holy. Let me read Romans 12 again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. So the one that makes us holy and acceptable, again, is God. Your reasonable service, basically, what is this? This is, this is a life of worship according to God's word. That's our reasonable service. The sacrifice of an animal was reasonable service, if you think about it, but it, it was reasonable service for the one that was bringing the sacrifice, but maybe not for the sacrifice itself. <laughs> the goat, it's like the person that owned the goat is bringing it. That was their reasonable service, but um, the goat's like, oh. <laughs> but under the new covenant, covenant, we actually have far greater mercies. It's, it is reasonable to offer a better sacrifice. The will of God, the Lord has a glorious plan for each of our life. And so when we, when we come back to this verse and we look at the fact that 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He is inviting us to walk in the fullness of his will. It looks different, doesn't it? The plan for each of our lives. We, um, I, I think it's a good reminder to think about the fact that he has a perfect plan for each of us. You know, he has made assignments for each and one of us in here that are very, very different. And they're going to bring him great joy and bring him glory. And so it's really, sometimes we just need this reminder that not to compare ourselves but just to know that what you you as a living sacrifice um, is is going to look different than your neighbor necessarily. But he does have a perfect plan according to his will. His perfect will. He's got a good and perfect and acceptable will. So this is coming out in the second part of that verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will. We are, you know, the goal is that we are resisting conformity to the world, and we're actually embracing transformation that comes from Christ. You know, that he, basically, he's, when he's talking about don't be conformed to the world, he's warning us about the world system, about... Because there was a world system then, there's a world system now, popular culture, the way, that, the way that the world thinks that is a rebellion against God. And that way of the world will really try to conform us to its ungodly pattern. And that process has to be resisted. Like I think even within the pattern of this world, there's a pattern of the world even within um, Christianity, the church, that... Um, falls into a lukewarmness, which is the reason why we have to keep coming back to the word of God, that we are getting transformed by the word of God, that we're spending time in it. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us what is true and what's not true. It's being transformed by the renewing of our mind is the opposite of being conformed to this world, isn't it? Our culture, our upbringing... It isn't just, like, sometimes I think we think the world, like, okay, it's like, you know, bad movies and, you know, all the things I'm supposed to stay away from. But there's just, there's ways that are in, that are formed into us, even, you know, from our youngest years. They're, they're not just in the culture, but they might be in our upbringing, you know, our, our personal preferences, um, our appetites, ideas like I said, that have been forming in us since we've been children. Our own experiences, our own responses to those experiences. There's all these different things. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to, to, to death. Who we are is um, it's a byproduct of the conglomeration of all these different inputs. And so the battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed in the, is, is an ongoing, daily, moment-by-moment moment thing in the mind of every believer. So what this boils down to is we have to think differently. Because we know our thoughts direct what? Our actions. So we have to be careful. Um, 
I mean, even before that, it's like before you say a thing, you know, uh, you plan a thing. I mean, it's just it's starting with these these thoughts. So at its its basic level, and I I know it's like okay, we know this follow. Yes, but we, we got to keep coming back to be reminded of it because our thoughts direct our actions and our actions direct our trajectory, where we're going. We have to be careful. Um, thoughts are things. You know, it's, it's pretty cool if you've ever looked into some of the, um, uh, like a, a neurologist, uh, they're, they're, they really, they study um, the brain and there are, in the science, I mean, they've done so much work in this area basically to tell you that thoughts are actually like they're things, they're electronic impulses that go through the brain. And these electronic impulses, when they're going through the brain, energy is expressed. And when that energy is expressed, it's actually shaping something in your brain. Your brain is malleable. It's always malleable, but particularly, I mean, if you've ever heard the saying for some of you that are younger, like your brain is not fully developed until you're 25, 26, 27, 20 years old or something like that. It's because it's super flexible, but there's, there's basically, you know, neural pathways that are being developed and they are in response to these electrical impulses that are going on in the brain. And so when, when um, Paul is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, like he's like, there's a mess, there's a lot going on up in here. Don't, be casual about it. Don't think that it's just no big deal. It it really is a big deal. Um, it's yeah, something is happening in connection there. So we don't want to be conformed to the world. I don't want to be conformed to a pattern of thinking that was beginning before I even became a believer. Um, I want to be transformed. You want to be transformed. And so how do we do it? Paul tells us we do it by renewing the mind. Um, we are to resist the spirit of the world and its values, and we renew ourselves in what the Word of God says. First John 2.16, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from the world. So just for a moment here, I'm going to read this verse again, and the Bible tells us, like, the, the, the psalmist invites God, the Holy Spirit, to search us out. Like, Lord, um, Psalms 34 talks about, like, search me out, Lord. Search my inner thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. The wicked way is, like, the way that is the world, the way that is me, the way that's my flesh, the way that's my past, the way that's my patterns, the way that is... You know, any strongholds maybe that have come forth in my family. You know, it's all these different things. It's just search me out, Lord. Search this mind out to see if there's anything that is not in alignment with you. Because if it's not in alignment with you, then it's, then it's wicked. And this is like a process of, like an onion peeling process. And I think this is the reason why when we think about, um, you know, we live in a culture that wants... Uh, transformation right away. You know, we want, okay, I'm a believer, or I've been a believer for five years, I've been a believer for ten years, and, you know, why am I still struggling? It's because this is going to be a lifelong process, and the more progress you make is based upon how engaged you are in that process, how committed you are to that process, how, how careful you are in 
identifying, which is what I'm talking about now, and then, and then replacing with the transformed renewing of the mind. So, Lord, we just we pray that as we read this world, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Lord, what are the things that we are pursuing that we're going after that are like we're just our appetites are for physical pleasure just kind of sometimes get us disengaged with our conversation, our connection with you. A craving for everything else we see. Lord, I just pray, would you highlight for us, where are we looking around at us? Where are we seeing maybe what somebody else has? Where are we, um, you know, really longing for the things of this world that kind of dull our desire for the things of your kingdom? Um, Pride in our achievements and our possessions. Lord, I just pray that you would highlight where is that at work in us? Or just even like, even within Christianity, within our Christian paradigm, is there pride for our achievements, the, the way that we, we want to be seen, the things that we have? These are not from the Father, they're from the world. You know, the problem is, is that many of us Christians, we live based upon our feelings. And, um, you know, God is not against feelings, but it, it, it tends to drive more of the motivation that we have. Where, um, one of the things that Paul is talking about is just um, yeah, aligning yourself to what God is saying. So a life based on feelings is basically saying, like, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my spouse? How do I feel about my kids? How do I feel about what others think about me? How do I feel about my ministry, my image? How do I feel about my progress? This is a big one for me. <laughs> like, this is taking so long. <laughs> How many of you can resonate with that? Um, my life, um, this life it, by feeling is never going to result in the transformation and the power of God because it really is ignoring this process of renewing of the mind. A life led by God will never know the power of God because it ignores the... When when we're focusing on the feelings, it's ignoring really this aspect of being renewed by the renewing of our mind. He's not... You know, God is not against the principles of feeling and doing. He is powerful and he's passionate in his feelings but he is commanding us actually to be doers feelings are like insufficient foundations for the christian life and but you know they're 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 a big part of our life so the first question that we can ask ourselves is like all right how do i feel <laughs> or or maybe the question should be like What's, what's underneath that? What's the source of that? In other words, what's true here? What's God's word saying? What am I feeling? Is this true? How do I measure this up against God's word? Coming back to the verse again, Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So the, trans, the, the, uh, the ancient Greek word for transformed is, I'm going to try to do this, metamorpho. And it's basically describing a metamorphosis. 
You could probably catch that, you know, from the way that that sounds. The word is used to describe Jesus in his transfiguration, which is mentioned in Mark. And so when this is a, this is a good image for us, I think about the whole caterpillar analogy of, you know, it goes in, it gets in a cocoon, and then it comes out. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. For Paul, this transformation and renewing of our minds, it's taking place as we continue to behold the beauty of the Lord and we inquire in his temple. We know he inhabits the praises of his people Beholding his beauty is changing us. Um, I think about this, the whole concept of glory to glory. It's taking place when we spend time beholding his face, spending, contemplating his beauty. We're becoming lovers of God. It's this, it's this vertical connection that we have. And it's when we're getting God's heart. We're, we're, I mean, I picture this image of like, this vertical connection as we're inhabiting his praises that the kingdom is coming down. It's coming through us, within us, and it's, it's this transformation. It's this whole beholding him. It's this whole seeking first his kingdom. It's, um, it's agreeing with his heart for his leadership. Um, it's this process that's happening here in the prayer room, which we talk about often. Prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. As we get transformed from the inside, this is actually proof. It's, it's the evidence that's showing up on the outside. The, uh, other people can see, they can observe what the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God is through the demonstration of our life, the way that we live. When your life, then your life will be transformed. Well, the whole idea of prove, let me come back to that. Prove what, what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. It's you walking in the will of God. Your life is express, expressing it. I think the idea behind prove, the way that I would interpret it, is that our lives are giving evidence that God's will is perfect, that a surrendered life to him is, is good, that it's, that it's worthwhile, that it is, that there's a reward for it, that there is an immediate, um, there's an immediate, tangible Benefit, you, you know, when I think about the, the whole idea of us being witnesses of God, that when we have are, are surrendered to that, it's proving to the people around that following Him is is transforming us. It is changing us. It's empowering us. We're transformed by changing how we think, and it starts with knowing what God is like his character. It has to do with, so I'm talking about right now, like what, you know, how is it actually happening? And it's, it's 
understanding as we spend time with him and we grow in this relationship, identifying who we are, how he sees us, um, as our mind is getting removed, renewed, our emotions are transformed, our behavior is changing. It's kind of what I was just talking about. It is our emotions are not transformed by trying harder, but rather by seeing more clearly as we invest effort to fill our mind with his word. You know, when I think about this whole idea of the amount of time that, you know, when you look at the digital um, culture right now, they spend, it's a multi-billion dollar industry where what they do is they, you know, it used to be advertisers would spend a lot of money spending, like trying to get you to interest, buy their product, you know, buy their service or whatever. But now what you have is you have like, a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar industry where they've got, you know, algorithms and, um, you know, artificial intelligence and all these different things in order to just know how to, like, snatch your mind, snatch your attention, um, and, you know, keep you from having a hard time stopping clicking, you know, that you keep going. I say, I shouldn't say you, me, you know, (laughs) like us. And there is this pressure all around us constantly that isn't it isn't neutral it's meant to be conforming us it's a programming of us it is there's a formation that is happening in the mind of each of us as we it's always true anyways in this in living this life but it's especially now true in this generation with the amount of information that is being bombarded in our mind and so it's like there has to be this active process of resisting that. And that active process of resisting that is saying, I have to have a plan to not only be conformed <laughs> to the world, but to be transformed, to even be like deprogrammed from all of that and reprogrammed with the word of God. And it comes down to some just real practical application of just saying, How much time in my life do I spend where these inputs are coming in and how much time I'm spending seeking out the the source of transformation that comes by the Holy Spirit? By, as I spend time in the Word, I'm able to identify, wait, you know, the Holy Spirit's highlighting this thing that seems so normal here or it's been a part of my paradigm, um, is not actually in alignment with the Bible. And then that's a part of it is the recognition of it. But then it's it's that time that we're spending in his presence, in prayer, in worship. And that's what what that's 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 like rewriting, right writing, if you will, um, in the right direction. It it takes intentionality. It takes us um being, you know, having a plan. It's not you know, I know I mentioned last time I talked about, um, you know, Paul talked about like striving and staying on the narrow road. Like the striving isn't because we're doing it on our own power, but it is that we are knowing where our source of power is and we are, we are ardently yielding and ardently participating with the direction that he wants to take us. So it's, it's really getting an intentional plan to remove and replace. 
Where our minds go, our emotions follow. When condemnation, shame, fear, or hopelessness rise up to challenge what God has promised in his word about who he is and how he feels about us, his word um, has truth. His word is about loving, forgiving, directing, providing, upholding. He never leads us. He's always advocating for us. Um, then when we believe these different things, then we can resist the lies and confess the truth. Really, like, when you look at the struggle in the mind, I think it almost always boils down to an attack on who we are as a person, which is answered by our identity in Christ, or it's an attack on who God isn't, and so we're on our own, like the whole Adam and Eve thing, you know. Did God really say and so everything, to me, it just boils down to those two things. So it's, just, it's like we got to come back and just say, wait a minute, what's at work here? Wait, who am I? Wait, who am I? I am a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. So we resist the lies and we confess the truth. This is a process of taking our thoughts captive. I know we talk about this, but... Like, i got to keep being reminded of it. Satan works to build strongholds in our minds. He plants lies in our minds. He's seeking to bring us into bondage by his ideas. Wrong thinking causes people to live and feel in negative ways. I, I, I did a, a, something years ago or something about, like, uh, on the topic of strongholds, but the thing is, is that the strongholds in our mind are things that, they're lies that the enemy plants, a wall that separates us from God, that we actually help the enemy build brick by brick (laughs) with our agreement, which is our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, this is the New Living Translation, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Every high thing, it's just, it's demonic lies that attack the truth about God. That's what it goes to saying, and who we are before him. So we have to renounce these wrong ideas with God's foundational truths. That's really what dismantles them. That's what the pulling down is. It's we, we dismantle the mental strongholds and we build the strongholds that are built on the lies. We cast down lies by bringing our thoughts into alignment, into captivity, into agreement with God's word. We fill our minds with the word and make it a slave that is captive to the truth. James 4, James um, chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There are, um, there are ways that you resist the devil, and it's basically you tell him the truth. It is, um, we're not captive to random negative thoughts. We can renew our mind. And again, it's active. It's, it's, uh, it's warfare. It's, it's more intensive engagement required on our parts. And thank goodness for prayer, right? That's what we do here. You know, it can be just things like, just from a, before we close up, just some practical ap- applications about what this looks like. Lord, how do you see the situation? Um, Lord, where is the emotion coming from? This emotion that I'm having. Like the psalmist said, why am I downcast on my soul? Okay, well, 
why am I downcast? <laughs> he says, put your hope in God. Well, what is it? Where's this, where's this emotion coming from? I mean, it's, it, it's likely coming from some kind of a, a lie from the enemy. Lord, line up my emotions to yours. Lord, I believe that you are sovereign. You're holding me. I trust you. I trust your perfect justice. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would bless um, those people that I'm struggling in relationship with. I mean, this is, this is an often thing that the Lord, when the Lord talks about praying for your enemies, if you're struggling in relationships, if you do that, you, if you stop and pray, I mean, this is something that um, Lonnie and I have really tried to make a habit. If we're struggling in a situation, we, we stop and pray for that relationship. We stop and pray for those people. That's, really, that's what the Bible says. So if there's a lot of struggle going on, then there's a lot of prayer going on for the person you're struggling with, which is really good because that's good for your heart and it's good for the, the situation. Lord, help me, to work, help me to do my work as though I'm working for you. Lord, you uphold me by your righteous right hand. I'm trusting him. He's hold me. He's got me. Lord, search my heart. Where am I off? Because when you ask that question, then he can work on that with you. Lord, show me where my fear, anxiety, and anger is an indicator of something. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an aspect of your character that I'm not trusting in. Lord, fill me with your perfect love that casts out all fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love, sound, love and a sound mind. Um, James 4.7, like I said earlier, resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And here, of course, is one that is we do all the time, but it's like, sing your prayers. <laughs> As I was writing this, just some thoughts came, some, some songs came to my mind. Um, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Like, I'm in a struggle right now. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds in me. I mean, that, that's, that's a really, that's a good one. Like, I'm taking my mind off of whatever's going on because you're sovereign over all of it. I'm going to look at your beautiful face. It's all I see. Because when your eyes are on me, my, your child, your grace is there. Your grace abounds. Um, there's, a, there's a song that I love, um, I think by Mac Brock, um, is the one that sings it. But um, there's a God who loves me, who wraps me in his arms. Like when there's a struggle going on, you can remind yourself, hey, there's a God that loves me. He's my father. And he wraps me in his arms. Um, and that's where I belong. It was mentioned during the worship time that I was like, break every chain, break every chain, Lord. Break the chain of this thing. Like, whatever the thing is he's identified to you. Um, It's really a glorious day when it dawns on us that we don't need to dwell on whatever comes in our mind, but we can redirect ourselves immediately to the Father. What does he say? Who is he? What does he say about us? We're not captive to random negative thoughts. We can renew our mind, and we're commanded to. And that's really what these passages are about. That's, that's what this is, this is all about, just a reminder to us. We want to come back, and we want to be transformed. He's saying, I beseech you, Paula, Lighthop, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, my body, your body, a living sacrifice. 
He's beseeching you and me to present our body wholly acceptable to God. And he's saying this is our what? Reasonable service. In light of all he's done. Of course, this is the least I can do, God. <laughs> the least I can do. Um, and I can, the, and with all that he's done, we can say, and I will not be conformed to this world. I will resist this world. I will stay in this. I will stay in it. I'll stay in the race to let him transform my mind. I will stay in it to allow him to renew my mind and prove to those that are observing that this is God's perfect, good, and acceptable will. Because that's he gets the witness. He gets the glory that way. We get the joy. We get the fellowship. He gets a witness. We become fully mature and ready to meet him. So the worship team can come up, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, we um, thank you so much that you continue to remind us through your word. Lord, we, we're asking that you would take us from a place of um, knowing information in our mind, but you would just bring it down into our heart. Lord, we're asking that we would take the things that we know, like we know there's so many things we know that we don't do <laughs> or that we try to do that we struggle with. But we, we know that this is something that is not an optional thing. You have commanded us to do it, to be transformed. So, Lord, we're asking, signing up again today to let you transform us. We're signing up again today, Lord, to ask you to reveal to us how are we allowing ourselves to be conformed to things that are not you, to this world to thoughts, to patterns, to desires. But we're asking, what does this look like practically for each of us? Because we know we're all in a different place in the journey. We just pray, Heavenly Father, for the grace to walk forward in transformation with your word, your living, breathing word that changes us, that renews us, that remakes us. In Jesus' name, amen.